Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution-focused podcast that connects the child health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems serving children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of our newly refreshed Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for research, advocacy, and knowledge. I'm Paula Robeson, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Kataramantang, a critical care and palliative care physician at the Ottawa Hospital. In September 2019, Dr. Karamantang launched his ever-growing podcast, Solving Healthcare with Dr. Quadwo Karamantang. These podcasts feature interviews and discussions on the topic of improving healthcare delivery in Canada. Underpinned by the values of cost-effectiveness, dignity, and justice, these podcasts will challenge the status quo, leaving no stone unturned through the exploration of gaps, assumptions, and different perspectives in the pursuit of finding solutions to problems in Canada's healthcare system. Today, we're chatting about a timely topic, COVID, equity, and kids. Hello, Dr. Karamantang. Welcome to Spark Conversations. Wow, Paula, that was uh, quite the introduction. Uh, you make me sound more <laughs> impressive, but thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. And it's not false praise. I have been listening to your podcast for some time. I'm delighted to have you on. Thank you for having me. Since the pandemic has hit us, COVID's revealed a whole bunch of inequities that many of us in healthcare, some more than others, have already knew existed. And we saw the inequitable impacts uh, associated with age. COVID hit long-term care facilities. Uh, COVID hit children in a different way than in adults, but no less burdensome. Race, or even, shall we say, racism within the system. Socioeconomic status, disability status, geography and gender are just a few examples. We see differences in who's exposed to and infected by COVID, who ends up in hospital or ICU, who's able to access or follow public health guidelines, masks, social distancing. Ontario data show a higher risk of COVID exposure and infection among racialized and low-income communities. Why might that be, and, and what are effective strategies to help us all overcome this inequity and prevent it from rearing its ugly head with another wave of the pandemic or another pandemic? Yeah, these are great points and, and great questions. And, and Paula, I think what COVID really did was put a lens on where our gaps are within our healthcare system. Uh, I mean, all the things you mentioned, whether it was long-term care, uh, whether it's uh, uh, socioeconomics, race, content. But when it comes to the you know marginalized, ra- racialized communities, I do think it's a lot of that is socioeconomics. You know, the people that are doing the essential work, the people that are did not have the ability to stay home, as many of us were told to do, were people that were in the factories. They were delivering your Uber Eats. These are the people that were they were also uh, frontline doing uh, PSW work. And unfortunately, these communities were were hard hit. They were in uh, often multi generational homes. Um, and unfortunately, when it came to the restrictions as well, when it came to, you know, for example, school closures, it's, it's 
are these these communities that are being hit the hardest when you know it's not easy to all have internet access. You know, there's data showing that like there's a hundred thousand kids in Ontario alone that were lost to the system. And they certainly were more likely to be in the racialized community than not. So I think this is clearly a concern throughout the pandemic and within healthcare prior to the pandemic. And to answer your question directly, like how do we, what are the strategies? It really is to, number one, recognize that this is an, an issue that you want to solve and get the community involved. Like the answers are often within the community. And I think at times, you know, it's often a top-down approach, which, you know, often doesn't get us to the solutions we need. But if we go get our hands dirty, get into these communities, really determine where the gaps are and how we could help, you'd be surprised at some of the answers that, that come about. Like, you know, a lot of us early on in the pandemic were saying how paid leave could be a huge game changer when it comes to the spread of COVID-19. When you are having to go to work to make ends meet and you got a, I don't know, a sore throat, runny nose, mild cough, and you tell yourself, oh, am I going to miss a day of work to get tested or am I just going to be careful? Meanwhile, I go into that factory and spread COVID and or potentially bring it home. These are the kind of solutions that were coming by listening to the people, but uh, weren't being, we weren't seeing yeah, the assumption is that everybody has an equal kit bag of options to choose from, and that's just often not the case. Absolutely. And some of the loudest voices about, you know, those that were telling everybody to stay home had that privilege, had that that perspective where they could stay home and get uh, reimbursed the same, if not some people even more. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, this is the perspective I think at times throughout this pandemic we were we, we weren't seeing. As it relates to sort of vaccine confidence or hesitancy and uptake, we also know it's lower in certain communities and the hesitancy is highest for some, and especially for those for whom COVID's had a disproportionate burden. What can healthcare providers and those of us working at system levels at a national or provincial level, territorial level, what can we do to ensure that populations at greater risk get vaccinated? And, and reduce that hesitancy? Yeah, great question. I think, number one, there needs to be a bit of recognition and acknowledgement about why there's hesitancy. Like there's been a huge mistrust in some of these communities. Like I look at, you know, some of the black communities, uh, especially down south, where, uh, an example is the Tuskegee experiments, where, you know, over 100 black men were untreated for their syphilis infections and were allowed to dement and die for the progress of science without them knowing these this came to fruition in the 70s where a lot of our a lot of people remember these things there's been you know experimental treatment for chemotherapy amongst uh, racialized communities and like these these atrocities run deep and they you know they're generational and you know the same thing in, in our Indigenous populations, like we did an interview with um, Mike Curlew, who worked in Sioux Lookout, and we recognized that up to the late 80s, the, the hospital was still segregated. And you're not getting the same level of care in a white hospital than you are in an indigenous hospital. And so there's like there's deep-seated mistrust, and this is something that you need to overcome. And number one, it, it's to recognize it and acknowledge it. And two, similar to what we said before, if you want to overcome these things, you got you got to get your 
your hands dirty. You got to be in the communities, communicating at the, the level that is that, that will be responsive within that community. So whether that is town halls, whether that's showing up at a barbershop and conversating about wh- why the vaccines are safe, why, you know, why I'm, I'm getting vaccinated. Like one of the things I did purposefully was on July fir- or, Ju- or sorry, January 1st, when I got vaccinated was to put it out on social media saying like, Hey, I believe in the science. This is an important way to get out of the pandemic and just literally be, be that example. Um, but you, you do need to be you need to be present. You need to be willing to engage the community and 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 hear their their uh, concerns and be patient. And you know, a lot of the that second bucket, as you mentioned, will turn the corner. Like one of the things I must say in with our platform, like uh, you know, I do some like uh, mainstream media as well. And people often reach out to me converts the second, bu- the buckets It's not shaming them and saying, how can you not be doing this? You know, how uh, like, it's ridiculous that you're not getting vaccinated. It's hearing their concerns. Oh yeah. You're worried about your autoimmune disease. Oh, you had COVID before. Oh, um, you had a really bad reaction to the last one. Um, and realize not everybody is the 5G's crowd, you know, and, and just having that lens of compassion and listening and empathy, it's been rewarding getting those those emails or those messages saying, like, thanks for clearing this up. I got my, my vaccine yesterday. I got this. I booked my vaccine for next week. Like, this is the kind of approach we need to be having as opposed to, in my opinion, the, the, the punishment mistrust uh, angle. Right, right. Uh, not treating everybody as though they're in that anti-vax camp, but rather that they still have questions and concerns that we haven't answered properly yet. Absolutely, Paula. Like we we make this huge assumption, like uh, we just put put everyone in these convenient categories and dichotomize such complex issues. Uh, I mean, mostly I think we do it for ease and convenience, but. This is, it's complicated. Like a lot of people have good questions on on why they are hesitant to get vaccinated. And most of the time, you know, if you get a chance to dive in it with them, they'll often see that maybe, maybe it is a good decision for me. Or most of the time they'll say it is a good decision for me. Um, but it takes time. I think that we've um, assumed that Folks are, like I said, anti-vax, whereas um, they've they've really just got questions that we haven't responded to them properly for. Um, mm-hmm. And it may also be who who is the messenger. So certain communities might value a very different messenger than perhaps we're we're talking about. There might be faith communities, for example, mm-hmm. who need to hear this from from their faith leaders or their elders. Exactly, coming from like it should come from the community. The answers are within that community. So approach it that way, as opposed to big wigs sitting in front of a TV that you, that aren't relatable to like you know certain groups, just telling you why and why you should, and then also saying what punishment you'll get <laughs> if you don't listen. And not necessarily walking a mile in somebody else's shoes as to what the barriers they might be experiencing. It's sometimes it's very easy to say, sit like as you said, sitting in front of your computer. Oh, it's the exact opposite. Nobody, uh, the, I think this is what's been lacking is the, that try and change your perspective, even a, a tad, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, why somebody, you know, is doing what they're doing. Like I even, 
you know, we, we might be talking about it a bit, but like even the vaccine passports, like one of the one of the groups that are totally lost in this is is the homeless. Right. Like you talk to a lot of the, my colleagues that work in homeless shelters, them, and we're going into winter months trying to get a coffee in a Tim Hortons, depending on what level of push there is for the passports or what have you. This is a this is a barrier, and not all of them have cell phones, and they don't have a QR code with them. You know, like these little things where you might have some unintended consequences. And a lot of that is because of lack of perspective. You know, this is why it's so important to have that diversity when it comes to decision making. So you have that added perspective so that we don't, you know, discriminate or or, or um, uh, certain groups don't miss out. Uh, I, I read something, I think it was on Twitter on the weekend, where one of the li- libraries was offering to laminate cards for people for free, mm-hmm. as we know um, sometimes in the winters, uh, libraries are a really great place for folks to spend their day if they don't have a home to go to. So seeing that community resource as also a resource for this initiative in terms of the vaccine passports as well. Oh, it's great to he- see people, you know, thinking outside the box and what have you. But, you know, this is, in my opinion, some of these, if we're going to do this, let's do it right and make sure that we have that out of the gate. Absolutely. You know, to, to support our, uh, you know, marginalized community. Yeah. And and you wonder how many folks from that, say, the homeless community were consulted in, or involved in any of the decisions about the rollout of the passports, and likely to some extent, but not, not completely. Exactly. And this is stuff we've been saying. A big fan of Dr. Uh, Stefan Burrell. And he, he was, we had him on our show as well and just hey, don't forget about our people, our homeless shelters. What's going to be the option there? And yeah, a lot of people saying the same thing, but unfortunately, uh, we are where we are. Right. COVID and vaccine misinformation and and sadly, even purposeful disinformation is at what appears to be an all-time high. And, and the anti-science sentiment is quite high. Some families of children with, for example, disabilities that we're hearing from may be at particular risk for misinformation, as are uh, like new Canadians and others um, less connected uh, with certain systems or for whom English is French aren't primary languages. Languages. What advice for science communicators, knowledge mobilizers, organizations like uh, Children's Healthcare Canada in ensuring these communities have access to the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about their vaccine and vaccine uptake? Yeah, that, this, this is something you just really need to be proactive in. You absolutely have to be a step ahead. You know, know who your crowd is, know where the gaps are, and communicate effectively in terms of why this is so important. It's got to be clear, it's got to be concise, and it's got to be in a language or a style that is where the, you know, where we see the gaps are. Um, and you, you make a really good point, Paula, too, about just in general navigating through, you know, the misinformation when it comes to COVID or anything else scientific. It is ex- becoming exceedingly more challenging to really um, know what's what, you know, like it's, and this is one of the things that, you know, I'm a father of three that, uh, if at the end of the day, when they, they go through the, the system or their education, I hope when it comes to critical thinking, this is something that they'll be able to hone in on. Cause 
it takes, it's not easy. And it's not to, to be able to think to yourself why this might be wrong. What are the motivations of these authors? Do they have a history of, of, of misinformation? Do they, have a his, do they have a hidden agenda that maybe is not not that obvious right now, but uh, clearly is uh, is pushing the narrative? So these things are, it, it takes skill and, and it takes time. And so uh, I hope this is, uh, you know, something that it comes to the forefront in regards to our education. But uh, to answer your question more direct, um, definitely clear, concise, consistent messaging in a language that is uh, consistent to the crowd that, you know, where, where there are those deficits. Like, you know, if, if it is if it is new immigrants, like it's got to be in their language. Do you know, like full stop, <laughs> like it, it, that's a, without a doubt, it's got to be it, it's got to be relatable and understandable. It's got to be. Uh, more convenient, even someone that they have a relationship with or could connect with, someone that has a shared experience with them. I think these things obviously help when it comes to trust and and, and gaining information. It's not a, necessarily a, a clear recipe when it comes to these things, but you'll recognize a theme with me. It's it's got to be centered on the audience. Who you know, it's got to come from the stra- whatever the strategy is. It's got to. Uh, we got to be thinking about who we're trying to impact. As, so that's why it's got to be more bottom up than top down. Yeah, more co-developed with the folks most affected by it. Absolutely. Like I, 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 I'll never forget we uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Durham, um, and she's uh, head of the Black uh, Physicians Associations of Ontario, and. Um, she just left me with this quote that I, I never forget the solutions will come from the community. And, and the more I, I sat with that, I'm like, this is so true. Like it, whatever you need, whatever the solution, it, it's within the community. The answer is there. It's not coming from the executive office. So just if we have that kind of mindset and approach, we'll, uh, we'll, st- we'll start winning. From our conversation, I'm hearing that some of the keys are really understanding the community you're serving or and the multiple communities within a community that you're serving. Yeah, and I, and I, I think people want a, a, a simple cookie-cutter approach to a lot of these things, but it's it, it just people are too complex. Situations are too complex. And so, you know, this is what I think is the, the, the truth. Yeah, the um, the human condition is just not one that that subscribes to cookie cutter very well. Um, but I'm hearing community engagement, co development, um, really understanding the um, per- people who are most affected by your decisions and involving them in the solutions um, makes perfect sense. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much, Dr. Karamantang. I hope you stay safe and are well. To stay up to date on all of our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark News bi-weekly e-bulletin if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then join us again next month. Thank you and have a great day. 